the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We are going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through Ephesians. And we have come upon that section of Ephesians, which is about marriage and family. And so, verse 22. Does everyone have a Bible that needs one? If you need one, raise your hand. Okay, verse 22. says this. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wise be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let her the wife, see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, your word, it, it says in your word that it was given for our reproof, our building up, our instruction as a warning, and as a beautiful picture of who you are and who you want us to be. And we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. I pray for every heart in this room that it would be surrendered to what your Holy Spirit is saying. Lord, give us a clean slate on our hearts. Lord, we want strong families. We want strong marriages. We want a, a community, a city, a country, a world that has, has strong families. The world has its instructions and its ideas. Lord, we don't take instructions from the world. We filter whatever we're told there through your word. This morning we seek your word first before anything else any other instructions we seek 
your word and what it has to tell us. Lord, bless us and give us, Lord, we ask that joy that we were just singing about. That joy, Lord, which is a promise, which we can ask for confidently and which we can, we can have even as we follow you and walk with you, Lord. We pray for our country. And Lord, just a lot out there unraveling. We thank you that there's security in you. And we thank you, Lord, that your kingdom, the Bible says, your church, the gates of hell, will not prevail against us, that the kingdom can advance and expand and be an example of beauty and change in the world. We pray that for the churches all around the country today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. Senor Hopper, can you bring me another glass of water? Thank you. Just love James. He's just a wonderful servant of the Lord. So this morning is the second in a teaching of six teachings I am giving on marriage and the family. The, the first two teachings are more directed towards husbands. The second two are more directed to wives. Listen, it's so important that all four of these teachings on marriage be listened to together. I assume you don't want me to give a four-hour message. I'm loving you in that way, okay? Love, love, love. I've cut it down to uh, about 45, 50 minutes a, a piece. But you need to listen to all four of them. So if you hear something this morning and you're like, you got to be kidding me, and you write me an email and you say, you got to be kidding me, my first question is going to be, did you listen to message number one? And my second uh, response to you is going to be, there's two more messages. And so they all need to be listened to together. Beautiful picture in the word of God of what marriage is. It's a mirror of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with you, the church. It's a mirror. It's a picture of God's kingdom, a kingdom that we are currently getting a wonderful taste and view of, but a kingdom that has yet to be established. Jesus promised to return and establish his kingdom. So, uh, singles. A lot of what we are uh, talking about applies to relationships in general. Relationships with your boss, your parents, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. So if you're single, stay with me. Okay. Husbands and wives, you'll never be able to do marriage unless you understand what the Bible teaches about the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage, and we discussed this last week in length, shockingly, has nothing to do with you. 
It has nothing to do with me. You mean my life's not about me? I hate to be the one to break the news. No, it's not about you. A life that is lived for me is a life that will self-destruct. Simply is the way we are designed by God. We were made to love and serve others other than ourselves supremely your marriage is not about you marriages fail because people make their marriage about them it's not about them marriages are about what god wants to do through the marriage when a husband and wife get that right God will bless their socks off. God will make that marriage amongst the greatest blessing a human being can experience. Why does God bless it? Because he loves you and he, he loves blessing you. But more importantly, he wants to encourage and motivate you in this relationship which the world looks at and sees a reflection of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his people. So with that, let's go back to the verses again. We began in this morning. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The word submit in the Greek is the word tasso. The idea in the Greek is to adjust, to conform, redirect your will to the will of your husbands. That's the design that God has made you with. You try to fight God's design, you're fighting God. Again, this has nothing to do with the fact that you're not equal in the eyes of God. You are, but you're playing a different role then your husband is playing in the God-produced, God-directed, God-written feature film that you, God has you starring in. Verse 23 says, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So the word head speaks of authority, just as Jesus Christ has authority over the church. So by God's design, the man has authority over the wife. He's to lead the family, and the wife is to submit to that leadership, to conform, adjust her will to his. Verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Again, what, we, what did we say last week? Any interpretation of these verses, verses 22 through 24, must be interpreted and understood in light of verse 25, which says what? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now listen, if man had written the Bible, if a man had written this Bible, 
And this Bible's not written by a man. This uh, man was an, uh, merely an instrument of the Holy Spirit. God wrote the Bible. But if man had written the Bible, verse 25 would have said this. Husbands, keep your wife in submission to you. That's what it would have said. Because that's what unredeemed man does. He views the relationship with women as an opportunity to control and dominate. We talked about this last week. This is part of the curse in Genesis chapter 3. He uses the relationship to control and dominate and left to his own devices. That is what he will do. He will try to preserve that control at all costs. We've seen that in 6,000 years of human history, men doing that. But so now Jesus comes in 2,000 years ago at a time when wives, women, were nothing more than a piece of property. What does Jesus do? He gives them a prominent place on his ministry team, a prominent place in the gospel story repeatedly throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see women shining like stars and elevated to a place where the Holy Spirit, God is saying, look at them. That is an example. It's unheard of in world religions in the same way, except in fertility cults of pagan religions where sex was worshipped. But with Jesus, he, 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 he of course, defines um, holiness with his own life. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and he's giving them this elevated place. He restores their dignity and rightful position as equal before men in the eyes of God. And then of all things, it is declared of those who follow Jesus. It is declared that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, Galatians 3.28. Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this is at a time, I am told, when women in many parts of the culture were required to walk 10 steps behind their husbands as an outward display of his superiority. This is what's going on. Jesus is just coming in and he is dropping this bombshell. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for. Again, a a bomb dropped right in the middle of a culture, a religious culture, where women were more or less governed by the arbitrary whims or desires. In other words, whatever desire happened to be floating in the wind that came over them. That's how they were governed. Women had little or no legal rights of their husbands. Husbands could do whatever they wanted with their wives, even sell them in some cases. And, And now here comes this command like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. Now, you do your history homework. You can go out and do it. It's easier than ever to go do your history homework. And you will find out that any culture in the last 2,000 years 
in which Christianity, I mean the real thing, had a dominating influence, the lives of women changed radically for the better. So again, verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. Guys, remember, this message is directed primarily to you. It must be interpreted in light of, verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Got a call a couple months ago from a man. And he said, to me, he said, well, you know, the Bible says this wives need to submit to your husband's thing. So, so when am I allowed to make a decision for my family without first getting input from my wife? You ever talk to someone on the phone and they say something so foolish that you look at the phone? <laughs> Is he really saying this? And, and so, you know, it's one of those kind of conversations. Never. Never do that. Never. Why? Because you would not be loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Simple. And so even though it was over the phone, you could, you could almost see the tail between his legs because he had just made a decision without asking his wife. And he said, oh, no, I'm going to have to go back and apologize. Every one of us needs humble pie, guys. It was good for him just to go back to his wife. And he did. He apologized. Not only is it unloving to go to your wife, husbands, it's unwise. Not, rather, not only is it unloving not to get input from her, it's unwise. Listen, guys, you need to actively seek out your wife's advice don't just wait for her to say something. You know, we went through these examples last week. Right? I'd be doing something, something, and Stephanie would be going, ho, 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 slow down, you know, this type of thing. But don't, don't wait for her to say something. Actively seek out her voice. Part of her role in the marriage, in your life, is to give you input. Input. That's part of God's design. That's how God designed her. Go right back to Genesis, creation story, Genesis chapter 2. But for Adam, it said, before there was a woman, <laughs> there was not found a helper suitable for him. How can she be a helper, guys, if you're not seeking out her help? I'm so thankful for my wife. I mean, I regularly now call her. I, I, I really do. I, I'm, I'm like, you are such a wise woman. I, I actively seek her whenever I have a decision about the family, and frankly, even some things that may not directly impact the family, life or ministry, I, I, I seek her out. Now, cautionary statement for you guys who love taking the back seat in your household. Ultimately, as a husband, I am to lead. That's God's design. That's God's um, charge to me. I need to make a decision and take full responsibility for it. Not after the fact, going, why did you tell me? Uh, you see what happened? No. 
I, I need to take full responsibility if I'm leading in a way that is really my wife making all the decisions. I, I'm leading in a way contrary to God's design. Marriages like that do not thrive. All the pressure is on wife and wives and those kind of relationships are, my experience, miserable. And they're really just not a picture that beauty that God has created in a marriage is not there. But am I to seek my wife out for input? How can she help me if I do not? Again, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, I'll love her this way when she begins to submit. I lost count of how many times I've been told that in marriage counseling. I'll love her like that, the Bible says, when she starts doing what I tell her to do. Ay, ay, ay. Really? I beg your pardon. Is that the way Jesus Christ loved you? Is that the way that Jesus Christ loved you? Did Jesus Christ wait for you to submit to him before he started loving you? Did he do that? Did Jesus Christ wait until you gave up your greed, your selfishness, your lying, your cheating, your violence, your pornography before he started to draw you in and show you how much he loved you and wanted a relationship with you? Is that how he loved you? A banner verse in the Bible, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrate his love towards us in that, in that while we were still enemies of God, sinners, Christ died for us. Just imagine you in the lowest point of your life in terms of sin and rebellion and ugliness. Don't spend too long there, but imagine it. Christ died for you, was dying for you, was giving the eternal sacrifice for you when you were in the midst of it. If you make a daily habit, an hourly habit, a minute-by-minute habit of dying for your wife. Because from time to time, you know, someone will say, well, okay, I, I'm willing to die for my, my wife. If someone came up to me, you know, and said, okay, one of you has to die. You know, you, you or your wife, who's it going to be? Well, I'd gladly step up to the plate. You know, okay, uh, kill me. I'll do that. That's not the dying that the Bible's talking about. The dying that the Bible is talking about, Jesus says, anyone who would come after me must pick up his cross daily and follow me. It is that daily picture of the cross. Husbands, God's called you to the cross in verse 25. I put up this verse before. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I memorized it at, um, as a very young Christian. We who are 
alive, we who live, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life, or you could say love, of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. If you make a daily habit, an hourly habit, a minute-by-minute habit of going to the cross with Jesus, when it comes to your wife, her heart, listen, will begin to soften towards you. Jesus says in John 3, referring to his crucifixion, if I, even I, am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Same thing with you in your marriage, husbands. Well, I tried it and it didn't work. Really? So how long did you try it for? Six hours. What? I hear this type of stuff. Sorry, man, hate to break the news, but Jesus Christ's sacrifice was an eternal sacrifice. You need to die to yourself for as long as it takes for her to be drawn back to you. Really? Yes, really. That's impossible. Yes, it is. Which brings us to verse 26. Read it with me, please. Let's start again in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, but as Christ loved loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, which means make holy, that he might make holy and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So the NIV translation says this, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So remember here, as you read this, this is talking about what Jesus does with the church. Remember, all these verses from 25 to the end of the chapter here, there's dual meanings. It's Jesus as a picture of the kingdom. He's the king. He's the husband king. We are the bride. We are the king's subjects. And this is how he loves us. How does he love us? He cleanses us by the washing with water through the word. What's the word? It's the Bible. To make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. How does Jesus make you holy? Remember the her here. It's not speaking primarily about you wives, it's primarily, it's, it's talking about the church, it's talking about husbands, it's talking about wives, it's talking about children. And what it's saying is God will cleanse the husbands, the wives, the children. In other words, the bride, his bride, by the washing with water through the word. That's how he makes you holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means Jesus himself. It means holiness You want to know what holiness is? Look at Jesus, about Jesus. How does he make you more like himself? It says through the word of God. So um, here's the deal, guys. When we have marriage counseling, and when I'm there and I do a lot of it over the last 
14 years. Husband comes in. Wife comes in. The marriage is in crisis. Husband pours out his heart on how much he is being mistreated. She doesn't submit to me. Wife pours out her heart on how much she is being mistreated. He doesn't love me. My first question, this is me when I'm giving counseling. I turn to the husband and I say, how often are you in the word of God? And right then the shiftiness begins. It starts shifting around in their seat. Well, you know, and it, it, uh, uh, well, then probably not as often as I should. Well, when's the last time? I get real specific. Marriage counseling, I throw off the gloves. It's in crisis. I, there's no other choice. I have to do this. When's the last time, husband, you were in the Word? Well, you know, a, a couple weeks ago. Then I turned to the wife. And I ask, how often are you in the Word? Many times, same response. Virtually every time when a marriage is in crisis, one or both is not in the Word. And so then my next message to the husband and wife is so simple. I just say, listen, there's no way you husbands, you will be able to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, if you are not reading your Bible every day. Wives, same thing. You're not going to be able to submit to this man unless you are in the Bible every day. Listen, husbands, the most important thing for a good marriage, everything else is a distant second is to be in God's Word every day. The number one priority of a Christian home is that the husband has quality, uninterrupted, unhurried time with God. Everything else in the home should revolve around that one thing. Listen, there's hundreds of Christian books on marriage out there. Uh, DVDs on marriage. Here we're, we're beginning a series uh, using DVDs starting this Wednesday night. They're loaded with wisdom, all kinds of wisdom on how to make a marriage work. But I assure you, if the man of the house is not in the word, guys, husbands, you're wasting your time. And when I'm in counseling, I will say that you are wasting my time counseling because I can give you all the experience and wisdom that the Bible has in my life offers. It's not going to be worth a hill of beans if you're not in the word of God, developing your relationship with Jesus. Wives, listen, any sacrifice you can make, and I mean any sacrifice, you may have had the kids all day, cleaning the house all day, scrubbing the house, preparing the house, building, uh, building the house. You cannot survive another hour uh, emotionally. Uh, yes, you will. <laughs> if it means allowing your husband to have unhurried time with God alone, I promise you it's worth it. That's not fair. Fair is a four-letter word in marriages. If you want fair, your marriage is going to fail. This is about what? Was it fair that Jesus went to the cross in your place? No, it wasn't. And 
our relationship with God is not fair. He's a God of tender mercies and loving kindness. He didn't give us which we, something we did deserve, which is death and eternity and hell. And he died in our place. And instead of judgment, he gifted us with an abundant life. That's not fair. Wives, you can give him the best food, the cleanest house, the best body, the best hair, the best intimate life. Let me tell you, those cannot be your priority for the home. It must be guarding and protecting and encouraging and praying for your husband that he would develop his relationship with the Lord by spending time alone in the Word. Listen, if you have to stand by his bedroom door with a rolling pin and a burning hot hair curler, (laughs) that's what you need to do. Protect the time. Do it. Verse 26, again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So number one priority in a Christian home, the husband having quality, unhurried time in the Word of God. Priority number two, the wife having quality, unhurried time with the Word. Guys, any sacrifice you can make, anyone, uh, to allow your wife to have quality, unhurried time in the Word of God, you've got to do it. I mean, you've heard the expression, a happy wife means a happy life. Ah, yes, this is true. But the happiest wife, and I know this from personal experience, is the one who has developed a consistent one-on-one time. The Bible says her husband that's most important is her maker. It's not me. Make it happen, guys. In our home, I have my one-on-one time in the Word. Stephanie has her one-on-one time in the Word. She's not allowed to join me in mine. I'm not allowed to join her in hers. And and listen, guys, no offense, and I I may be wrong about this, but this has been proved true in my marriage. I don't think your wife needs you to teach her the Word of God, and I really mean that. I'm not saying you don't talk from time to time and receive questions, but let me tell you, I think your wife needs God to teach her the Word of God. Amen. And, and so when you, when you and your wife are on, a, are on a date, she doesn't want a chaperone coming along. And when she has her date with Jesus, she doesn't, she, she doesn't need you there. If she does, listen, that's not a good thing. Well, I want to read the Bible, but I really need you here with me. No. <laughs> so now remember all these verses... Now let me just back up and conclude that, this little piece of, of this message. Listen, if you husbands are having your time with Jesus and the Word daily, and you, wife, are having your time with Jesus in the Word daily, listen, and I really mean this, you will find that everything else in the marriage just starts working itself out. It's 28 years of marriage. This has been my experience. Everything else will just start working its way out. Why? God's speaking to you, and he loves you, and he wants to confirm this relationship with you. So now remember, 
all these verses have a dual meaning. So it's, it's, on the one level, verse 26 is about Jesus washing you in the word. But remember, there's also something here for the husbands, because um, so we're the picture of the real thing. And, and so what um, does this command, uh, is, is it speaking to me? As a flesh and blood husband, husbands, walk, wash your wife in the water of the word. It, it means, listen, it means this. You make your wife holy by leading the home, B- by setting the spiritual agenda of the home with the standard of the word of God. How often in this country do you see, and it's always a pathetic picture, you see moms having to drag their kids to church with no cooperation from dad, and dad comes if he feels like it. Uh, if there's a devotion time in the home, uh, mom is making it happen. Is if, if, if the husband and wife are praying, and yes, you should be praying, husbands and wives, every day, but it's always a wife trying to drag her husband into it. Yeah, yeah, okay, I will do it. it, 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 it it's mom that's making sure that the kids go to youth group. It's mom making sure that they get to Christian camp. It's mom reading them the Bible. It's mom making sure that the movies the kids watch are not dishonoring to God. Mom is making sure that the music the kids listen to is not uh, dishonoring to God. Let me tell you, that's a disgrace. Husbands, if there's any of that in you, in your home, that is disgraceful. That's a travesty. And you are ripping yourself off from what is among the greatest blessings to any human being, just a rich, full marriage. You're ripping yourself off. Not that it's about you, it's about the Lord, but I'm just telling you, a byproduct of leading well in your home, you, God will bless your socks off if you're willing to do it. By the way, husband, it's also exhausting to your wife. Husbands, you, not your wife, needs to be setting that spiritual agenda for the home. Listen, in our home, when there's arguments about movies and TV and music, you ask my kids who the argument is with. It's with me, and guess what? I never lose, or 99% of the time, I don't lose that argument. Why? Because it's not my house. It's God's house. That movie you want to watch is not appropriate for God's house. That music is not good for God's house. That book that is being read, it's not good for God's house. Men, make your wife, your family holy by setting the spiritual agenda of the home with the standard being the word of God. Can I hear an amen? amen? It feels a little weird getting so intense up here. Mm, let's try to lighten it up maybe. Can we do that? I don't know. Verse 27. That he, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to do that now. Cool. So this is Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the, is the primary, he's the picture Rather, he's the reality, and we're the picture of the reality. Verse 20 says that Jesus might present her to himself. This is speaking of the church. It's speaking about you. This is why he cleanses you with the water of the word. This is why he makes you holy, because he's preparing you that he might present her, meaning you, himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without Blemish. So again, this is a picture of Jesus the husband and his bride. 
you're the bride. And this says that Jesus is preparing you. He's actually preparing you for a marriage. It speaks about this marriage in the book of Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But he's preparing you right now for his kingdom. Right now, you, me, we, we have, though, spots and wrinkles. That's what this says. It says, eventually, we're not going to have spots or wrinkles. But that's not going to happen before either we die to go to be with him or he returns. So we have areas in our life, spots, wrinkles. They're not quite right. And sometimes they're not right at all. They're spots, they're wrinkles, they're, they're ugly. Sin areas in our life which currently, they don't fully reflect the beauty of who God created us to be. We're under construction. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Ultimately, it will not be completed until we are in heaven or upon Jesus' return. In the meantime, Jesus treats us, how? With the uttermost patience and love. He chastens us and challenges us, but he is not twisting our arms trying to get us to become what will not be, what will not happen until this side of heaven. He's not like that. He uses supremely love, which sometimes takes the form of chasing, but he's long-suffering, meaning he's patient. Listen, husbands, I hate to break the news to you. And wives, just pretend you're not hearing this, okay? Just, okay? Just pretend you're not hearing this. There very well may be things about your wives that will never change this side of heaven. I'm sorry, I, I hate to break the news to you. I, 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 did you hear me? There may be things about your wife that will never change this side of heaven. Are you going to love her anyway? I'm not talking about the love like I love cotton candy. I'm talking about the love in verse 25. Loving, are you going to die for her? Or are you going to agape love, kindness? What does it say in 1 Corinthians 13? Verse 4, kindness, love, long-suffering, not keeping a record of right and wrongs. Are you going to love her anyway? See, that, see you know, if it's the kind of love that the world loves with, um, it will vanish and uh, until that time where that thing about her changes, where there's some things about her that may not change. There's some things about you and me that are not going to change this side of heaven. So, so your wife, she takes three times as long to get ready to go somewhere, three times as long as any woman on the face of the earth should take. She's promised you for five years that she would speed it up. It hasn't happened. It's gotten worse. The wrinkle has gotten deeper. Listen, husbands, you're not going to change her by getting angry. You're not going to change her by getting frustrated. You're not going to change her by giving her the silent treatment. I'm telling you, let it go. You just need to let it go and, and give it to the Lord. Listen, guys. My wife, she's got a problem with losing credit cards. 
and, 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 and I just had to come to the place in my life, this is never going to change. Now, now, I'm not talking about the kind of credit cards you leave at the cashier um, and, and you forget. I'm not talking about that. I, but, but she has this thing where she takes her credit card out of her purse, she leaves her purse, and then she goes somewhere else with just that credit card. And I say, baby doll, sorry, that is what I call her, baby doll, <laughs> don't do that. Take your purse with you because when your credit card is lost, we have to freeze it and wait a week for the credit card to come. She goes, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll try to do that. <laughs> it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Now, now, I could just try to um, live in frustration and try to change behavior through anger. Ain't, no, I just need to let it go. Will you pray for me on this one, people? <laughs> I just need to let it go. Listen, I know what she's thinking right now. I know what Stephanie's thinking. She's thinking about me eating with my fork. <laughs> so I want to give you a lesson in eating with a fork, okay? You put... You put a little chunk of meat on it or whatever, and, and, and you put the fork in your mouth, and you go, with your lips, you go, oh, mm. you go like that, and then you slide the fork out. But that's not how I eat with a fork. I go, <laughs> she has told me no fewer than a thousand times, don't chew your fork. Don't bite your fork. Don't scratch the fork. And, I, and, and, and you know, uh, I hate to tell you, Stephanie, it's never going to change. This. I, I mean, I, listen, listen, and I'm actually being serious about this because there are some areas um, which are not going to change. Now, if you are using that as yourself, as a justification for not changing yourself, that's just, come on, that's rebellion against the Lord. Well, you know, I have a bad, I have, a, I'm in bad moods every morning. I'm sorry that you're in rebellion with the Lord. That's not who God has made you to be, and you need to seek the Lord. And if you're chewing your fork, you need to seek the Lord over that. But, but in terms of the interpersonal relationship with each other, we got to love we got to have patience. Verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. As he loves his wife, he, lo- he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. No one ever hated his own body, but nourishes and cherishes, nourishes and cherishes, nourishes and cherishes. Husbands, are you cherishing your wife? All right, some translations say feed and care for her. That is supremely talking about feeding and caring for her emotional needs. Guys, we've talked about how to do that with your actions. Listen, I'm breaking all this news to you. You got to do it with your words, guys. You have to. Are you feeding and caring? Are you nourishing your wife's emotional needs? Guys, that means opening your mouth and telling your wife not only that you love her, 
but why you love her. You say, well, yeah, I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm not one with words. Oh, really? Well, I, do I have a book for you? Whoa, do I have a book? This book will teach you everything you will ever have to know about how to feed and care and nourish and cherish your wife with your words. It's a book. You don't even have to go to the Christian bookstore. It's right in the middle of your Bible. It's the Song of Solomon. And guess what? You don't have to, you can just open up your Bible and you can read it. I'm going to do a little bit of that right now. You don't have to turn there with me. But listen to this. This is our example, guys. Right here. This is the king, the, the groom, speaking to his bride, the wife. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful you are. Your feet, those feet in your sandals. Oh, prince's daughter, the curves of your thighs are like jewels. The work of the hands of a skillful workman. Your navel, it's the belly button, guys, is a rounded goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Hmm, okay. <laughs> Your two breasts are like two fawns. Ah! You can do it, guys. There's a time and place to do that. Twins of a gazelle. You got a lot of work to do, guys. But you can get there. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like pools in Heshbon by the gates of uh, Beth Rabin. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your tresses. How fair and pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. What's her response? One of the best responses, one of the most powerful responses. This is her response in verse 10. It says, I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. And, and the, we began this book, by the way, Song of Psalm. We went through it. The, the, the messages are online. The, the letter begins, Song of Solomon begins with this woman who is so insecure. She doesn't even want this guy to look at her. But as the, as the book progresses and it, it gets to the point finally where she, she says this, I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. Guys, are you nourishing and cherishing your wife? Listen, we've gone long, just a little bit longer. I just ask you for your patience. This is important. And we're, by the way, just so you know, we're replacing a marriage and series set on the website. And this, this marriage series that's been on there 10 years, it's gotten by far more hits than any of our other series, but we're, we're replacing it. So I just, there's a, just a couple more points that I want to give here. I want to put up 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says this. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. 
And so we, you know, people look at this verse and, you know, they say, okay, so what's this about? It's as to the weaker vessel. What is that referring to? It's not referring to being unequal in the eyes of God. That's already been made clear, right? In fact, the, the, the next part of the verse is as being heirs together. He doesn't get 75% of the inheritance. He gets 50% as being heirs together of the grace of life. That's not what it's talking about. What is, uh, some commentators and, and Bible teachers I respect, they think that weaker vessel here is referring to physically. Here, they're physically not as strong. You will not have a ladies all-star team in basketball beating a men's all-star team in basketball, at least in the NBA. And so the husband needing to cover that part of uh, his wife. Now, this is important. We're thinking, could that really be what it, it means? Well, in many cultures, women do all the work, particularly in agricultural communities throughout history. The guy's just sitting on their cans while the wives are out harvesting. And so that could be it. I personally think this is referring um, to that emotional sensitivity that women have, which is their strength without which a marriage, frankly, looks dull. (laughs) That is talking about emotional sensitivity, which is a strength of the woman, but it can be a weakness. And it says here, it says, dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, recognizing that that emotional sensitivity can become a weakness. And how does that um, play out in real life? Well, from time to time, you may be in an argument with your wife, husbands. You are absolutely um, certain that you're right. You have a legal brief with all your legal arguments, your perfect arguments, and you know you're going to win. And then all of a sudden, she melts down. She's in a meltdown. So you ready, husbands? At that point, when you see her beginning to melt, you take those arguments and you throw them out the window because it doesn't matter anymore who's right and who's wrong. It doesn't matter anymore about fair. Fair's a four-letter word. You need to restore your wife at that moment and let go of right and wrong. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Uh, giving honor to the wife. Look, I challenge any of you, you look at the face of a woman loved by her husband like we've been describing, like Christ loves the church, and you will see a glory there. You will see a glory that would not otherwise be there because her husband loves her like Christ loves the church. He doesn't mock her. He doesn't tell jokes about her. He doesn't tell jokes about marriage. There's no place for that. I, I, it grieves me so, that some of the men of God who are outstanding uh, preachers of the word, they'll get up in a pulpit and mock their wife. Never. She has a place of honor when you are in public. She's the woman with you. She's the one that you give honor to. Again, back in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, nourish and cherish her. Finally, with verse 29, 
nourish and cherishing or feeding and care, uh, uh, feeding and caring her means making sure that that spiritual gift that God has put on her life, you're nourishing it and you're caring for it. My wife is a teacher of God's word. I need to do everything in, that I can do to make sure to encourage her in that and support that. If it means going somewhere with the kids all day, I, I need to let her do that. That's her calling. Listen, guys, if your wife has been called to leave her profession, her job, and go home and, 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 and take care of the kids, stop whining about, oh, we won't have as much money. We won't be able to afford the rent. Move to a different house. You got to feed and cherish and nourish your wife and make any sacrifice to make sure she's walking in the calling she is walking in. And then finally it says, verse 30, it says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so we'll finish out verses 32 and 33 the next couple of weeks, but I just want to close with this. It says, for a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is powerful stuff. Now, I don't know about you, but if there is any kind of problem going on between my wife and I, I can't enjoy life. If I go to work, I'm not, enjoy, I'm not able to, to work. That's what, why? Because that's what you're, you're one flesh. Malachi chapter 2 says when there's a divorce, you are covering this marriage relationship with blood, with violence. Why? Because you're ripping apart a man and woman who have become one flesh. This is just powerful stuff. You are one with her. So, among other things, no other woman, guys. Rather, let me, let me rephrase. Your wife should not ever have to compete with any other woman. Present or the past, all girlfriend paraphernalia from the past, gone. Pictures of some other woman in your photo album, gone. Uh, platonic relationships with other women, never. You say, this guy, he's legalistic. I say, no, this guy has been married for 28 years. And this guy has witnessed friends who thought they could have Friends of, of, of other women go into a, an adultery. The Bible says, guard your heart, for from, from it flow the issues of life. No, I'm not talking about being friendly. This goes both ways, husbands, wives. I'm not talking about being friendly with other women or, or, who are not your, your wife. I'm talking about developing a relationship. Never. Your wife is your only Friendship when it comes to the opposite sex. And so, and, and, and so it says, for this reason, a man shall ha leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What a picture. What an incredible picture. As I invite the worship team just to, to come up and close, that's a picture 
remember, of the relationship between Jesus Christ and you. That's a picture of how good it can be. And actually, it's only a picture. It's only a foreshadowing. It's only a taste. This picture of the, uh, of the husband and wife becoming one flesh, your relationship with Jesus Christ can be that good if you're willing. And, and, and so if you are here this morning and you have never asked Jesus Christ into your life, let me tell you, he loves you. He loves you more than the best husband in the world loves his wife. It's only so much more. That's just a picture. And the picture of a husband and wife becoming one. That's what you can have with God. This is a beautiful picture. And, 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 and again, in verse 32, it says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This is what I want to do. If I can just have all the husbands in the room stand right now. If I can just have you stand. Anyone who is a husband currently, I guess we can include fiancés. I, I guess we can do it, I, you know. If you already have a ring on your finger, you can stand too. So what I want to do, and just for closing, I just want instrumental. If you see someone standing, I just want you to get up, and I want you to pray for these guys. This is a noble calling. If, you're not, if, you, if you want to stay in your seat and just worship as the, uh, as, uh, as the worship team plays the instrumental here, you can do that. But as the, as, as the, um, as the worship team just, just plays along now, I just want you to get up. I want to close the service in a little different way. So I want to pray for these guys. I want to pray for them. Well, let me first close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your instruction and I just pray in Jesus' name. We thank you for this design. We thank you for this model. We need you, Lord, to fulfill it in our lives. And we thank you for the glorious calling of being a husband. We thank you for the glorious calling of being a picture of how much you love us, of how much you love your church. A picture of the kingdom, a kingdom picture. We just thank you for that.